0: I'm Dauntess, better known as the Dawn of Beer.
1: And I am the one and only M. Sauter, better known as Pints and Panels.
0: <laughs> Welcome to episode 39 of the All About Beer podcast. Every two weeks, we talk with leading experts and take a deep dive into one topic in beer. This week on the show, we're going to talk about biotransformation, the next level in producing juicy tropical beers. Please visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at All about Beer. And please visit patreon.com slash beer to support this show and others. So, M, yes, what do you think of biotransformation?
1: Well, You know, to be honest, I've done a lot of research about it, and I still don't really understand it. So I'm really excited to learn more and hopefully fully grasp what biotransformation is and how it affects beer.
0: Yeah, that's just exactly why we have this show, right? Yes. <laughs> um, so we have two guests today, and they're going to teach us everything we need to know and, and understand to appreciate biotransformation. But first, if you would like to help support the All About Beer podcast, please reach out to podcast at com. Speaking of supporting the show, here's a word from our sponsors.
2: This is John Hall, the editor of All About Beer, and this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Estrella Galicia. And I'm joined by David Mato. He's one of Australia Galicia's brewmasters, and we're talking about alcohol-free beers. David, welcome. And to start off, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about what the alcohol-free beer market is currently like in Spain.
3: Uh, Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Hello, John. So in Spain, we have uh, low alcohol beer and uh, 0.0 alcohol beer. Uh, we have this difference between them. The The low alcohol beer is when the alcohol content is between 1% and 3%. And no alcoholic beer or 0.0, 0 beer is which contains only a small residual amount of alcohol but must have less than 1% alcohol by volume to be labeled it like alcoholic-free. And we can continue using the word uh, beer on the label, which is, is pretty nice. That is.
2: Um, can you guide us through the process of creating a non-alcoholic beer, how you all do it at Stray Galicia?
3: Yes, certainly. Uh, crafting a non-alcoholic beer involves special techniques to retain the flavors, which are very important no, in, in the final product, uh, while removing the alcohol. So we use a technique called uh, interrupted fermentation. We focus on maintaining the balance and full bodied taste, ensuring that the experience is just as enjoyable as our traditional beers.
2: I like that, um, and it, and it for you as a as a brewmaster. What about the taste? Is it remind you of full strength alcohol beer?
3: Yeah, taste and flavor are very important for us, so we carefully select ingredients and and brew you on a specific board. No, we make a specific uh, board uh, which ferment for between twelve and fifteen hours before stopping the process through cooling, and then we blend this brew. And two parts of this brew and one part of normal beer and we give them a maturation of a week then we make a background distillation of this blending and it's a it's a way to maintain the full body and some of the aromas uh, of the of the normal beer but as you know uh, through this background distillation uh, the aroma thing is an issue you now it's something Sometimes it's complicated to, to maintain it. But the result, we are very happy with the, re, with the final result. Yeah.
2: I like that. Well, thank you. You're going to be back with me at the bottom of the show to keep this conversation going. But in the meantime, I'm going to encourage listeners to be on the lookout for Astrea Galicia beers where they live, and especially the 0.0 offering. And you can learn more about Astrea Galicia by visiting astraygalicia.com. Attention brewers, registration for the 2024 Best of Craft Beer Awards is now open. Sign up today. Now in its 10th year, this is a BJCP-sanctioned event judged by fellow brewers, professional judges, and industry leaders. Judged in Oregon, it's the third largest professional brewing competition in North America, and it's a chance to have your hard work evaluated and rewarded. Use promo code Beer to receive 10% off of your order. Don't delay. Register your beers today by visiting bestofcraftbeerawards.com slash register. One more time, that's bestofcraftbeerawards.com slash register.
0: Eric Abbott has a background in biochemistry and botany and has worked as a hands-on brewer. Eric joined the Brewing in 2017, where he has worked as an R&D associate, technical sales manager for Canada, and global technical advisor. In his current role of technical support manager, Eric coordinates technical content and works closely with R&D, sales, marketing, and new product development teams on a diverse range of projects. Welcome to the show, Eric.
4: Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, so square one, what exactly is a biotransformation and explain it like somebody on
4: this show may have failed chemistry.
1: Yeah, uh, me, me, I failed chemistry.
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in general, biotransformation in a general sense is any chemical changes that the yeast makes in the beer um, through its metabolism. So we are all familiar with transformation in a very general sense because the yeast the most fundamental biotransformation reaction that it does is converting sugar into alcohol and CO2. Um, That's a a major part of uh, metabolism during beer fermentation, but there's other metabolisms that happen uh, in in the beer as well. Um, The yeast is able to convert sugar into alcohol and CO2. It's also able to convert other precursors into other metabolites as well. So the yeast ha- has a very complex metabolism. There's thousands of different genes in the yeast, um, and it's interacting with the many different compounds in in a beer wort uh, in many different ways during fermentation. When people say biotransformation in beer, they're generally talking about hop biotransformation. So that's the conversion of non-aromatic uh, aroma precursors in the beer wort into free aromatic compounds that contribute to the flavor and aroma of the beer.
0: Okay. Um. So just so that we're all working from the same base here, I hear, and I'm not a chemistry person either. So um, I think I've heard terms like glycoside, and I've heard terms like thiol, and like what are these things and how do they relate to biotransformation?
4: Okay. So you mentioned terpenes and thiols. Those are the two major categories of biotransformation uh, there are different chemical classes terpenes and thiols and they have com- completely different flavor and aroma profiles and different yeast metabolism that affect those categories of, of compounds so i'll start with the terpene metabolism uh, terpenes are the largest class of plant specialized metabolites uh, plants produce a huge array of different uh, chemical compounds that they use to interact with their environment through flavor and aroma and things like that. They can't; they don't have behavior like animals do. They can't get up and walk away. So they produce a huge number of different chemicals to interact with their environment. Terpenes is the, the largest class of uh, plant specialized metabolites. Um, they're produced in many different types of plants. In hops, they're produced in the tiny glandular trichomes, which are the, the little orange kind of powdery uh, stuff that you see on the inside of a, a whole <laughs> hop cone. Um, That's basically a little oil pouch, and it contains uh, a lot of terpenes. So some of these terpenes will be free and aromatic already in the hops. That's why they smell so nice. But some of them will actually be bound to a sugar molecule and we call that a glycoside a compound bound to sugar is a glycoside when it's bound to sugar it's not aromatic it's used to kind of be stored and transported around around the plant Uh, but for brewing purposes it's basically a reservoir of terpenes that can be tapped into by accessing metabolism of the yeast
0: Okay, uh, so, so awesome. when
4: the yeast interacts with uh, the terpene glycoside, it, it is basically cutting the sugar off of the terpene so that the terpene can be released in its free aromatic form.
0: Right, and then maybe also fermenting the sugar into alcohol?
4: Yes, it would ferment yeah. the sugar as well.
0: Okay, um, I sort of led you with you know glycoside and terpene and, and uh, thiol, but uh, any, are there any other terms in biotransformation that we need to understand?
4: Uh, well, well, for thiols, we talk about a cystinylated or glutathione-linked uh, precursor. Uh, so instead of a sugar being bound to the thiol, um, it's a amino acid uh, linkage. And through different types of enzymes, uh, the yeast will also cleave off that precursor. The They will cleave the precursor to release the free thiol. Um in terms of different, uh, um, language we use to describe this, um, yeah, for, for the enzymes involved in terpene metabolism, um, we call that, uh, a beta-glucosidase enzyme. The enzyme that will free thiols from its precursor is called a beta-lyase enzyme. Okay.
0: M, do you, uh, have any questions?
1: I'm like, my, uh, my head is, is, is overflowing, (laughs) but I, I feel like now, like, there's a lot, you, you've done a really good job of kind of, I'm, I'm starting to get there. There's just, when science words enter my ears, they like immediately disappear. So, um, but no, this has been really, really interesting. And I'm like, I, it's so fun to see the science aspect, even though I don't particularly understand it the science aspect of beer because you know i don't know it's just very cool
3: so, i like it
1: too yeah i yeah well Don's a big nerd so <laughs> um but i did have a question so now that like people know more about this are breweries starting to think about using their yeast differently so if they're choosing a yeast strain based on esters ester, excuse me esters and phenols are they starting to think more about thiols or biotransformation
4: so we're talking thiols not phenols those are completely oh, sorry. different yeah. yes, completely different two, co- compounds this
1: is me failing chemistry again <laughs> and again through adulthood <laughs> phenols or,
4: or phenolics are the yes. kind of spicier clove character yeah. Yeah. that you you get in some yeast strains uh, but thiols are generally derived from the the hops yes. um and freed by, by the metabolism of the yeast
0: so i guess that's the question though like and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think biotransformation or this idea of freeing op compounds into uh, free aromatics is a relatively new concept, at least it is to me. So to the extent that brewers had been selecting yeast based on esters and phenols, are they now maybe thinking more about and select making yeast selections based on
4: its biotransformation and thiol ability? Absolutely. Um, okay. yeast producers are characterizing the all right, uh, yeast producers are characterizing their yeast strains to um, to determine which ones have higher activity of beta-glucosidase, so terpene favoring versus beta-lyase or thiol favoring metabolisms. So certain yeast strains will be advertised as being high biotransformation either for terpenes or for thiols or sometimes for both Um, and brewers are adapting their processes and their ingredient choices to promote biotransformation so whether that that be from uh, choosing hop varieties that are higher in either terpene or thiol precursors choosing an yeast strain that is higher in beta glucosidase or beta lyase enzyme activity or by potentially using uh, what we call an exogenous enzyme, which basically means an enzyme outside of a living organism that has been extracted and purified, and that can be added separately from the yeast um, to allow the, the enzyme activity to proceed. Um, so one example of this that we have is a Aromazyme that Lalamon Brewing produces. It's a purified beta-glucosidase beta enzyme that basically allows you to add the beta glucosidase, so terpene-favoring metabolism in a way that is separate from the metabolism of the yeast.
0: Okay. Um, so you have different strains now that are what I'll call old school. They're good at making esters or whatever. And then we have these new, more biotransformative, if that's the right term, biotransformative, uh, strains um is it just a if Brewers just be selecting one or the other or are you would you suggest to Brewers that they think about uh, multiple strains in their ferments so that they get the best of both worlds or and or a balance of things or how do how should Brewers be thinking about their
1: use yeah of well
4: reasons? it's interesting that you you talk about some kind of uh, more traditional or ordinary strains versus Versus, say, say a a more modern biotransformation strain. It's a little, it's a little bit misleading to say that because through our research, we're actually finding that some of our more traditional strains, for example, the Diamond or Nottingham strains, they seem to have, at least in lab trials, a fairly high beta lyase or thiol-promoting metabolism, um, and that's not something that we would have necessarily expected because uh, people are not really f- tending to use the diamond yeast. It's a lager strain, uh, to produce very hoppy beers, but yeah. we're seeing a little bit more of that with the uh, cold IPAs, for example, or like modern, modern hoppy lager styles and diamond would actually be a good choice, even though it's a, a classic strain that we've had in our portfolio for, for a long time now. Um, and, but the, there are certainly, newer hop strains that are released and specifically promoted for their biotransformation potential as well.
0: Okay.
1: Oh, so everything's old as um, new again. So you can Yeah, kind of, I love it. Yeah, <laughs>
4: yeah, being characterized in, in different ways, um, yeah. which is interesting. The, the characterization of these strains is actually pretty complex. Um, the metabolism of these yeast it is very complex and there's many different compounds that they're interacting with Uh, For terpenes, there's uh, thousands of different terpene structures uh, that are known. Um, So what we're finding in some of our research is that um, we're finding that the, the chemical data that we get from measuring the concentration of terpenes or thiols doesn't always completely line up with the sensory panels. Just something that has been noted uh, in published literature as well. Um, so it, it's really difficult to fully characterize these strains in term in terms of their potential to actually do work in a in a commercial brewing environment or at a homebrew scale as well. Um, there's some limitations to laboratory experiments uh, when we're studying thiols. Measurement of thiol levels. Thiols they're a sulfur-containing compound the sensory threshold is very, very low concentrations and these compounds are present at very, very low concentrations. So they're very difficult and quite expensive to actually measure and quantify. And there's only a few labs worldwide that are able to do this and it's very expensive analyses to do. Um, so it means that, uh, you know, although we are progressing with the research in the field of biotransformation, both related to terpenes and thiols, uh, there's still a lot of work that can be done and that is being done in our lab and in other labs around the world. Love that.
1: So cool. That's very, very cool. So is this purely the way that, I mean, I think about thiols and biotransformation, for me, it's all about hop aroma and flavor. Um but uh, should brewers be thinking about biotransformation and to add other flavors to, like, say, any other styles, saisons, Pilsner's, anything? I mean, this could work with any beer.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Actually, uh, some saison strains or Belgian strains in general tend to be fairly high in biotransformation activity. Now, some of this will be covered up by the phenolic character that is present in many of these yeast strains, But if you're brewing a hoppy saison you're going to likely see some biotransformation activity as well Um, certainly it could be it could be used to promote hop character in in any style then the problem is is that it really only works in highly hopped beers Um, in if there's not very many hops added to a beer It's not a very hoppy style. You're not going to have many precursors for the yeast to work with. So it's not going to be able to add more than the amount of precursor that was added in the hops in the first place. Right. It doesn't create anything. It just converts the precursor into a free aromatic compound. Right. It releases them, basically. Right. It releases them. But you need to add it in the first place in the form of um, like a pretty big hop load. Right. Awesome.
1: So for a pilsner, that would be a anything with yeah yeah you can do a pilsner yeah
4: yeah and dry hop to pilsner cold ipas things like that um but if you're doing a very light low hop traditional pilsner you're not going to see very much biotransformation activity because there's simply not very many precursors that have been added due to the low hop rates this is probably why we didn't really notice very much biotransformation potential for our diamond lager strain in in the first place because traditionally it was used in very low hop beers right
0: but but it always had that potential that you yeah
4: it was always there
0: yeah Yeah. that's awesome thank you uh eric for taking this uh very complicated uh (laughs) subject and 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 making me understand it which is awesome love it Um, Uh, my pleasure Eric, if people want to uh, keep up to date with uh, your research uh, and Lallemand, uh, what are social media handles uh, that people should follow
4: and or your website? Our website is uh, Um I can't remember exactly the specific handles, so it's probably best to just go to our website, but you'll find all of our links to social media there as well. But it's Lalaman Brewing. Uh, you'll be able to find us on all, so- all social media platforms whether it be LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. And um, we also have uh, an app that you could download as well, uh, where we provide uh, in- some additional information about our strain, including a, a strain selector um, for any beer style, which is not actually present on our website. Oh. And for support, uh, you can feel free to email brewing at and those emails go to me, and uh, we respond to everybody, whether you're a, a commercial brewer or a home brewer. And um, we love interacting with our customers.
0: And, and you even respond to nosy podcast co hosts that you <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> thank you for that. Awesome, thank you, Eric.
1: Thank you so you're much. Welcome.
0: Cheers, cheers. And we'll be right back with Scott Janish of Sapwood Sellers to talk about using biotransformations
2: in brewing. But first, word from our sponsors. Welcome to Australia Galicia, where brewing excellence has been a family tradition since 1906. They are all about lager, rooted in German brewing heritage. Maintaining their commitment to tradition, they brew exclusively in their original brewery in La Coruña, Each beer boasts its own distinctive recipe, no shortcuts, no compromises. They shun high-gravity tricks and avoid additives, even in their alcohol-free beers, and stick firmly to traditional methods. Their passion for beer sets them apart as they embrace and celebrate the art of brewing. At Estrella Galicia, they love beer above all things. Experience the difference, sip by sip. Attention brewers, registration for the 2024 Best of Craft Beer Awards is now open. Sign up today. Now in its 10th year, this is a BJCP-sanctioned event, judged by fellow brewers, professional judges, and industry leaders. Judged in Oregon, it's the third largest professional brewing competition in North America, and it's a chance to have your hard work evaluated and rewarded. Use promo code ALLABOUTBEER to receive 10% off of your order. Don't delay. Register your beers today by visiting bestofcraftbeerawards.com slash register. One more time, that's bestofcraftbeerawards.com slash register. Scott
0: Janish founded Sapward Cellars, a brewery specializing in hazy hop-forward ales and barrel-aged sour beers in Columbia, Maryland. He is also a beer researcher and blogger at scottjanish.com and author of The New IPA, Scientific Guide to Hop Aroma and Flavor. Welcome to the show, Scott. Uh, thank you for uh, for having me. Um, so as a brewer, how do you think about biotransformation?
5: Well, it's, it's such a broad topic that can go kind of so many different uh, angles or ways with it. Um, you know, just as a brewer myself, um, especially when I was uh, a few years ago, back when I was researching for uh, the book, The New IPA, I was... Um, that was the one chapter that got me the most excited while, while digging into research, mostly at the time it was, uh, wine research, um, trying cool. to see what, what strains that yeast strains they've kind of put or have, uh, noticed, uh, are capable of, of bioconverting, um, in, in wine, it's the same thials, um, that are kind of chasing in, in hops, which is kind of interesting. Um, so I did so many different trials just to try to get any sort of, bio transformation, um, using the science from the wine world and their, their wine strains with a whole bunch of different beer test ferments, um, and just could never really get anything that was, um, aligning with what the science in the wine world would, you would expect, you know, the big tropical passion fruit flavors, um, the weird phenols from the wine ferments and stuff were really kind of dominating those early trials for me, whether if there was biotransformation happening, I, you know, I was, it was being probably masked a little bit. Um, so this is something I've been excited and, and chasing for a long time, but it wasn't until um, the bioengineered strains came out that these ferments um, really started to come way over the taste threshold. And, and you know, now there's, there's strains producing um, biotransformation at different levels that really lets brewers kind of dial in what they're, what they're after like the spinal tap dialing it up to 11 kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, you can just go, (laughs) I mean, I think some of their early, you know, I've worked mostly with uh, Omega yeast. They've been great and and shared a lot of their uh, test trials, um, test yeast strains um, with us at at Zapwood. And we've done a lot of work uh, analyzing those and and brewing test batches with them. Um, And just some of those early ones in particular were just so outrageously high in files. It was, it was amazing that, it was even beer. I mean, it was just so over the top that it was, um, you, you're just not used to impacts at that sort of level um, from a, a yeast strain choice. What was it like? Were they actually tasting like wine then? or You know, it, its I wouldn't say wine in particular. It was very, to me, kind of a one note. Oh, um, I see. Very, very kind of passion fruit forward. But, you know, I, I wish I had a better term than this like file edge that they have. It's just this very high 3-MH kind of um, flavor and aroma that I think once you get kind of keyed in on it, um, you you can pick it out pretty easily. Okay.
0: So then that actually does bring me to my next question. It sounded like in the early days when you were experimenting, you were maybe wanting to maximize biotransformation, but now you're more thinking about nuance and balance uh, and and other flavors. So if you want to balance you know, the, this, uh, you know, those thiol flavors, how do you control how much biotransformation you get in a particular beer? And how do you think about other
5: flavors and how they might play together? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're right in that. Like early on, I was just trying to get it to happen period. And that, that would have excited me. I, I didn't think in three years we'd be able to, to do it with such precision. Um, but You know, for for me, the the balance kind of comes in. Um, In fact, we we actually just doing another run of beers um, at Sapwood with um, Cosmic Punch, um, Omega's kind of first strain and and the one on the lowest end of the thial producing um, concentrations. And, you know, that's one that I like in particular, just because it does kind of allow for that you know, the file character during, after fermentation before dry hopping or doing anything with is, is definitely there. Um, it's, it's, it's got this lighter kind of body to me that the grain doesn't come through um, as much kind of takes that like you know, toasty or, or doughy grain edge off of a, a beer in a way that, um, you know, like a typical English strain uh, might leave. And it just allows for a brighter um, kind of hoppy beer in my opinion. Um, and you can use some of the science with a strain like Cosmic Punch, where you can, you know, pull some levers during the brewing process that will allow you to increase the final concentrations a little bit more, um, but still not be to the point that some of the, uh, the, the strains that are on the top end, like the Hel- Helio Gazer, uh, Lunar Crush, um, Star Party, those kinds of Levels, it's not quite getting you there, but you can do things like mash hopping with mash with mash hops that are high in these uh, 3Mh style precursors, Um, or you can um, you know add add other products like um, Phantasm um, to the the whirlpool that increases more of those style precursors that a strain like Cosmic Punch can really um, work on, which you know gets you higher than you would with the strain on its own, but still kind of in that lower lower range um, from some of those intense strains. And it's just, um, you know, that's just an, an example, I guess, of how you can kind of um, pull some levers to, to, to get with where you're going with those.
1: With the, yeah, with the current popularity of like juicy, tropical. So you're like, how do you, I know you're, you're just talked about like process, but like, how do you, you know, people want juicy, they want tropical, they want these these flavors. How does that change the way you're using this kind of stuff? Because, like, I'm not going to lie, this is, like, totally – you just mentioned a bunch of words, and I'm like, those are some words. <laughs>
5: <laughs> are they English?
1: Yeah. So I was that, like, yeah. My so. trip. I
5: don't know what they mean either.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
5: um, you know, I it, – it's um, – you know, I, I think that, like, the average beer drinker, like you said, is just kind of after um, – you know, if they like a juicy IPA or hazy IPA, that's kind of what they want. They're not really concerned with, you know, how you got there
1: necessarily.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for us, we kind of use these strains. Um, you know, I, one example, I guess, of this that I, I've really liked our beers is, is mixed firm beers, which seems kind of not true to what a mixed fermentation beer is. Um, But using this high file character, going into barrels um, and just maintaining that over a long period of time um, gives you such a unique beer that you couldn't get otherwise in like that realm of brewing. Um, Whereas if we're trying to go, like you mentioned, in the super tropical, juicy way, um, we could use a high file producing strain with a fruit of that kind, like say you're doing a fruited sour and you use, um, a high thialized strain, um, then you could use potentially a little less of like, you know, passion fruit is, is an easy one. Cause it already kind of goes in that direction. You can kind of dial that back a little bit, um, and maybe potentially use a little less fruit. And so you're getting kind of like free, free in quotes, kind of fruit character in a beer, like a, in a fruited sour. So um, you know, there's just so many ways you can kind of go with it. Um, and um, strangely, the, the way, at least at Sapwood, we don't use it with very often is in a big, juicy IPA. That's kind of where we just let the traditional method kind of speak for itself. And, and where that style kind of originated, it still kind of is. Um, having said that, we've done a few... Um, you know, I thought we did a beer with Tampa Bay a Brewing Company that used Helio Gazer, um, I believe that beer was called Placebo Punch, um, with some um, Yakima Chief hop oils, and this combination of hop oils, dry hopping, and a high-thiolized strain did create a very unique um, and fun, juicy IPA, so uh, I guess it's kind of a long answer you can, you can do so many different, you can go so many different angles um, with these strains. And that's kind of what makes them um, so exciting to experiment with.
0: Um, You've spoken quite a bit about yeast, but what about other ingredients? Pardon me, other ingredients? Like I understand that maybe aged rather than fresh hops might offer more thiol precursors. And I understand maybe some unusual grains have thiol precursors like spelt
5: yeah I'm not sure the exact uh precursor content of of spelt, but in general it's it's you know the the grains that aren't um roasted as long is kind of my, my understanding that would have the most potential um oh I see so yeah using you know just there's just so many precursors in in like a pale uh malt that it's um that's kind of how those strains on their own can produce so many um free thials is just by converting those bound 3MH thials um, during fermentation, which is, is also a thing that was definitely not on my radar back when I was, uh, you know, experimenting with these. I would have never thought there'd be so many precursors in, in grain itself. Um, but the other one is, like you mentioned, um, hops. And, and to me, the, the interesting thing there is a lot of the hops that have higher precursor content aren't the ones... would generally think to use in a um you know an ipa for example like using uh, saws is is one that is uh, has a lot of file uh, precursors but of course that's not one you would generally use Um, and then using it in the mash uh, which is something we've always done at the brewery for more of a shelf life um, science around shelf life but now you know utilizing we just did a beer, a pale ale where we uh, had Cosmic Punch, um, that was the primary fermentation, and then it had um, a whole lot of like 20, 21 saws in the mash, so we're kind of loading up the precursor content, Um, we're using some older hops that, you know, you could easily just leave on your shelf for a while until you don't know what to do with them and throw away, so that's that's a huge perk. And the, and the other perk is, since saws is so low in alpha acid, um, especially if you're using aged saws, um, you're hardly adding any IBUs to your beer from this big mash hop addition. You're using older hops, which are, are cheaper, are generally cheaper. In fact, you can buy older hops for, for a good price. Um, and the uh, IBU comp, comp, uh, contribution from that is so low, it's not really affecting your overall bitterness in the beer. Um, and so it's just the, uh, you know, the ingredients really do kind of play a big part in those. Um, and for us, I, I believe that the for brewers out there, I think it's about thirty percent of the expected IBUs from a sixty-minute edition is what you would get from a mash hop uh, edition. So oh, okay. you can see why using a low alpha hop like saz um, doesn't doesn't do much but add flavor.
0: Right. So people should be looking for the double. Double size hopped,
5: juicy IPA. Yeah, and I guess, and but that but obviously you wouldn't dry hop with the sauce. Right, so it's right, more right. A,
0: I stopped yeah. myself. I was about to say dry hop, but um, <laughs> a, a, a few minutes ago you mentioned phantasm, and I just wanted to, for people who don't know what phantasm is, can you just quickly tell us what that is?
5: Yeah, it's essentially, um, you know, there's uh, if you've had. Uh, Sauvignon Blanc wines from New Zealand—they can just be intensely passion fruit forward. Um, and so, you know, what what Fantasm has, has done is taken uh, essentially this, the the skins of of uh, Sauvignon Blanc grapes after they've been used in the wine process and kind of made um, a a dry powder. It's essentially what we have of of the uh, leftover uh, grape skins from the uh, wine. Process. So it's just, um, it's essentially just what's left after winemaking, but these, what's on the skin still has enough of these style precursors um, that a biotransformation capable yeast drink can then convert into um, free, free thials, which you would taste. So it's essentially like a powder of, of wine leftover um, uh, uh, skins, grape skins. So um, the great, great use of, of that. Um, product. um, And that's, you know, we've um, had a lot of luck with that. Um, Again, that's, that's another one we we love to put into barrels. So using Phantasm in the uh, whirlpool with something like Cosmic Punch and then going into freshly emptied white wine barrels with uh, mixed microbes for a good amount of time, like a year, uh, close to a year, or even, you know, well over um, a year. And there's there's something to these high thiol beers where they just don't oxidize at a level that other beers do. Um, Thials themselves are very sensitive to oxygen, so perhaps those are up taking the oxygen and leaving the beer a little fresher. Um, but there is you know something to these aged beers with the thio- high thial hops that um, we we really dig. That hmm. is super interesting.
1: Yeah, I didn't even think about using Phantasm in a. Barrel. barrel yeah that's that's mind-blowing to me that's cool yeah
5: it's fun. in fact there might still be some of um the bottles floating around but we did one with with Bissell brothers that was you know the same approach so it was um, holler tower blanc phantasm in the whirlpool uh, aged it in fresh sauvignon blanc barrels um Bissell brothers sent us some of their culture that we put in those barrels um and then we had a few with our own culture and then after a year, then we then re-fermented that with um, fresh um, Chardonnay local grapes from a vineyard in Maryland, Crow Vineyards, um, and then let that um, naturally condition in a bottle. And it just, it's just, a, it's a unique, super unique beer that um, there's, there's something to that thialized strain um, that I think gets you something more complex than we would have gotten um, just using a traditional strain in that primary fermentation.
1: Very cool. So like, what advice would you give to homebrewers or even like pro-brewers about utilizing biotransformations to their advantage? Like, is there a way that, I mean, they can just buy the strains and use them or is there any advice you'd give them?
5: I think um, yeah, as a homebrewer, I would always appreciate when breweries around me, local breweries would put out beers um, with some of these newer products. So you could kind of get a sense of, you know, what a new hot product tastes like or a new yeast strain um, tasted like prior to spending your entire Saturday um, brewing a test batch with it and then coming back, you know, two weeks later and spending another Saturday packaging that beer. Um, so if you can get your hands on on some local products that you know, use some of these strains to kind of help formulate an idea of where you want to go with the beer um, or just you can just dive right in, I think just, you know, doing, um, some ferments with the, the high thial strains and, and, the most important thing I think is, you know, I, I think everyone's instinct is to, to dry hop these beers. Um, but if you can you know, really taste and think about, um, what that file character is doing to the beer before dry hopping it, um, I think that's really where you'll learn the most, um, about how you might want to utilize that character. Cause you know, you'll, once you dry hop it, you're creating these more complex, uh, it's just harder to know what that thial character is doing on its own. Um, and that's especially true for the lower, verge, lower um, strains like a Cosmic Punch that's not uh, at such high levels. So uh, just tasting your beer through the process. Uh, and amazingly, you know, 24 hours in, if you taste the beer, that's nowhere, clear, nowhere near done fermenting, um, but it's a high thialized strain you know, that's almost when it's the most intense. It, oh. it is pretty remarkable to, to, uh, to smell that, that, what, what that high thial character is doing. I don't know if there's maybe it's because it's transformation that I believe is happening in the yeast cell itself and the yeast is in suspension and maybe that's why we're smelling it. But yeah, I mean, even if you drop the yeast from a tank, the yeast itself has, has a strong thial concentration. Oh, interesting.
1: Hmm. Is there any like resource, like online resources or anything you'd recommend homebrewers or people like me who are scared of science where they can uh, (laughs) can learn about, you know, using these, utilizing these to their advantage?
5: Uh, Omega has a great, Omega Yeast uh, has a great newsletter now um, that I would recommend subscribing to. And if you go through some of their previous, um, posts, uh, you, you, there's quite a bit on, on strains. Um, on my uh, personal blog, I've done a few, um, they are probably a little more in that high science kind of category, but they're, um, if you search, um, I'm trying to think of what the name of the beer, uh, we did a beer called the Locksmith. Um, that was a collaboration with, um, Omega and Phantasm, um, I have the whole recipe on there um, that, you know, I think if you just need a starting point to go from, that would be um, pretty helpful. Um, so there's, you know, so many different podcasts. I think in the last couple of years, that's really been a, a topic of a lot of conversation. So um, there's, there's a lot out there now. You should Great. write a book about this or something, Scott. <laughs> I know, you know, it's just so frustrating not frustrating it was exciting but it's like after the book was released and it's like oh we figured it out (laughs) um uh you
0: you uh obviously every everybody should uh drink as many sapwood cellars beers as they can but are there any other broadly available like nationally available beers you feel people should try to kind of understand biotransformation
5: yeah and i you know Something that my business partner uh, Mike Tomzmar and I say all the time is we really need to get out more and, and, and drink more beers from from other places. We get kind of just so locked into our own little territory here. But um, I, I'm just not aware of one that's mass produced, and I'm sure there is one that um, I'm, I'm not thinking of or haven't heard of. Uh, maybe someone listening to this could even a, a comment or something. Yes, but, we would.
1: Mm,
2: yes, I would yeah. appreciate
5: that. Um, yeah. um, but you know, I think. Um, yeah, we've done a few. We've done, but they're just collabs with other breweries, and I don't think they get, um, you know, brewed multiple times um, right. after after the fact. Uh, Toppling Goliath um, and Lua Brewing. We did a beer with, um, I believe that was that was definitely mass um, shipped out, but it was not probably rebrewed. Um, so it's 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 tricky. It's um, I guess you know a good. Place to look now is um, Tavor. Um, if you live in a state where you can now, um, Tavor is an online app where you can buy beers and have them um, shipped directly to you. I believe it's you just buy singles. Um, that is a way to to find some um, dialyzed beers from around the country that you could have shipped to you and and try. I know that um, I believe our mixed fermentation club will be added to that soon, which um, will have some. Um, some more of those um, barrel aged uh, mixed firm beers with, with, uh, you know, things like cosmic punch that'll be included in there. Um, and I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other uh, great breweries in the U S that have um, similar, similar beers on there. Okay,
0: cool. Uh, thank you for your time, Scott. Uh, before we let you go very quickly, where can people buy your book and what are your social media handles? And you mentioned your blog, let, uh, let everybody know how to get, uh, get in touch with you.
5: Sure it's um you know just scottjanish.com. Uh, dot com not very not very clever or creative in that in that <laughs> front um, social media wise um you know it's just uh, also just at scotchianish um but you know most of the focus now is is really the brewery and not so much on you know I wish I had more time to write blog posts and all that so anything at um app with sellers i think is where you'll see a lot of what uh, where the uh, experimentation and and kind of focus is going is is probably better to follow uh, those channels awesome thank you scott
1: yes yeah thank you, so thank much. you.
5: appreciate the uh, invitation
0: so m do you understand yes. transformation now
1: yes yes i think i do um <laughs> I think I, that was great i mean it was I, hey you like it because it's nerdy but <laughs> i think it is it's i really when i think about thials terpenes i think about like you know those fruity beers, or I think about hazy IPAs. Um, I didn't even think about barrel-aged beers, saisons. Yeah, you know it's yeah. it's got so much more utilization than I realized, and that was the coolest part for me.
0: It's another tool for the toolbox, yes. and um, what I love about this is that um, you know beer is millennia old, and we're still we're still learning such. New things like, uh, you know, like that diamond yeast that Eric was saying, it's always had this ability that we've just figured out in the last couple of years, right? <laughs> and now, yeah, because
1: now with the creation of the cold IPA, my favorite style, uh, it's really cool to see, um, yeah, how old is new again. I love it, yeah,
0: love it, I love it. Uh, awesome, please, everybody, visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. And please visit patreon.com slash to support this show and others. If you have questions for the experts, please email us podcast at allaboutbeer.com. That's also the email for feedback, suggestions, or to inquire about supporting this show through advertising. So Am, how can people reach out to you?
1: I am at Pintson and Panels across all social media, and my website is pintsandpanels.com. How about you, Don?
0: Uh, I am at the Dawn of Beer on X, Threads, and Instagram, and people can drop me an email at dawn at thedawn Here's a final word from our sponsor.
2: Attention, brewers. Registration for the 2024 Best of Craft Beer Awards is now open. Sign up today. Now, in its 10th year, this is a BJCP sanctioned event, judged by fellow brewers, professional judges, and industry leaders, judged in Oregon, it's the third largest professional brewing competition in North America, and it's a chance to have your hard work evaluated and rewarded. Use promo code All About Beer to receive ten percent off of your order. Don't delay; register your beers today by visiting BestOfCraftBeerAwards.com/register. One more time: that's BestOfCraftBeerAwards.com/register. This is John Hall, and as promised, David Mato, one of Australia's Brewmasters, joins me again, and we're talking about non-alcoholic free beers. And I wanted to ask you about the growing demand for non-alcoholic options, David, and specifically, what trends have you observed in the market?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The demand of non-alcoholic beers has seen a significant increase, I think, in the last 20 years driven by a more health-conscious uh, consumer base, but it, I think it's important to, to, to know that in Spain is the world leader in production and consumption of non-alcoholic beer. So this increase in Spain, uh, it's, it's maintaining during the, the last four years. Uh, people are looking for alternatives that allow them to enjoy a high-quality beverage without the effects of alcohol, so I think it's a worldwide trend uh, to pass to the non-alcoholic beers. Yeah.
2: I like that. So. Regarding Estrella Galicia's non-alcoholic beers, are there any particulars that you've seen become fan favorites? And what does the future look like? What are, what are some developments that you all may have at Estrella Galicia for the future of the non-alcoholic beer space?
3: Okay. Uh, our Estrella Galicia 0.0 has been exceptionally well-received. Uh, it's a non-alcoholic beer that embodies the essence of our brand, of, of our normal brand. And we think that the balanced flavors and the refreshing profile have made it favorite among those seeking alcohol-free option. But it's also remarkable that in the last years, we started with this a 0. 0.0 amber, where the malty mm. notes take a center stage, and uh, I think now it's winning in, uh, in this uh, yeah, fight without the normal brand, uh, with the <laughs> normal brand. Sorry, and uh, yeah, I think it's a favorite now, the amber one. And nice. I, I For sure, I prefer it.
2: Thank you so much. And we're going to stay tuned to the space, obviously. Um, so thank you for, for being here. And thank you to Astray Galicia for sponsoring this episode. Dear listeners, you can you learn them. more. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to tell everybody that they can learn more about Astray Galicia by simply visiting astraygalicia.com. This show is produced by All About Beer. Visit allaboutbeer.com for articles, notes on
0: this show and others, and connect by the newsletter and social media. Cheers.
1: Cheers, everyone. Drink cold Free IPAs. the thiols. Free the oh, thiols. you say? Cold IPA. <laughs> cold IPA, thiol. I don't even know. War Yay. words. <laughs>